This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. I am Jeff Sharon along with Eric Lopez. We've got uh, a lot to huddle up on here on this uh, on this cold week here in Central Florida. The uh, we've got what was National Signing Day, right? But it's it still is, but it's kind of not, you know, because the early signing period with whatever we got uh, basketball to talk about. Obviously, as the conference schedule rolls along, um, Eric, I got we got softball stuff to talk about. We're a week away. Hallelujah, Hallelujah. Go bye bye yeah. football. You know, hello softball. That's the way the world should be. Love we it. never really, we never really bid farewell to football around here. Uh, but uh, but we and we also have a guest on the show later on. Emily Marin, the head golf coach for UCF Women's Golf, is here as well. So uh, to preview her team as they uh, begin their spring stretch, which will hopefully lead to another good finish in the American and another NCAA appearance. But let's first talk about. Uh, we're recording this on Wednesday, February 2nd, and no, we're not going to talk about the Washington Commanders. Instead, we're going to talk about National Signing Day and joining us here to chat about that, Stat Boy Drew himself, Andrew Glukov, joining us on the show to catch us up on uh, on, on football's roster moves. What's up, Andrew? How well, are then, you? you know, this is still NSD. It's not National Signing Day. It's National Signing Dud uh, because UCF has brought in no new guys they're just but that announcing was expected, the transfer, right? but that was expected, yeah. you know, yeah. and this is most schools, most schools no longer really do much on the February signing day. I mean, the one guy that was really talked about was Leighton Nelson flipped from UCF to Vanderbilt. Not a surprise. Uh, the fact that he decided not to sign early on, you know, was kind of, you know, a red flag of, you know, potentially you know, moving somewhere else. But other than that, just everything played out as expected. UCF did not sign anyone. Uh, uh, today, and all they did was announce officially the transfers who have all enrolled, all eight of them. Eight, uh, so you're right, eight guys total, four on offense, four on defense. Um, just to recap the names, Kamora Gamble from wide, uh, from from Florida, the big tight end, uh, Kobe Hudson from Auburn, John Rice Plumley, the quarterback from Ole Miss, um, Hudson, by the way, is a wide receiver from Auburn, and six foot ten offensive lineman Ryan Swoboda, from Virginia on the defensive side, Lee Hunter, a defensive tackle from uh from Auburn, linebacker Terrence Lewis, defensive uh, from Maryland, KD McDaniel, a defensive end from Kentucky, and Kobe Perry, an all-conference uh, defensive back from Austin P. He was actually a, a conference player of the year, uh, defensive player of the year joins UCF. So, all right, so Drew, the holes that have been filled, did UCF fill them? Yes. Oh, well, I mean, for, 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 for the most part, you know, uh, there was a couple of areas that they kind of got hit offensive line was one, you know, losing, you know, Cole Schneider and Marcus Tatum to graduation did get the benefit of Sam Jackson coming back for a super senior year, but they got better. Uh, Taylor Gra- uh, Grable coming in from Jacksonville state, you know, that same team that beat Florida state last year. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Ryan Swoboda, who's a multi-year starter in Virginia, six foot 10, 325 pounds. I mean, this guy is an absolute monster in size. Uh, great timing, bringing in a couple of, of linemen that have experience. 
Grable has two years left. Swoboda has one year left. And uh, I, I think they really hit the mark there. The, the next side, you know, Kobe Hudson coming in from, from Auburn. He was the team leader in receptions and yards there. Big, big pickup, you know, helps with, with UCF, you know, you know, from a, from a depth standpoint, you know, losing uh, Titus Mokia Atamalala to, to UCLA and transfer, uh, you know, big, big turnaround. I think uh, Hudson is, is, is less raw, is more developed. And, and I think there's, it definitely helps elevate that position. And the big wild card is going to be a, a Plum Lee from from Ole Miss, who obviously was the quarterback there originally before uh, Corral came and and unseated him, and then this never looked back. Uh, Plum Lee played wide receiver and quarterback in his time at Ole Miss. Obviously, he's probably going to work his way as a quarterback. Uh, you know, this guy is is an athletic stud. Uh, his you know his passing numbers not the greatest in the world, but I mean such a physical, um, you know, speedster as, as, you know, he's six feet, 200 pounds and he flies. So they're, they're going to find a way to get him on the offense. Uh, he's going to have to compete and win that job. It's not going to be given to him, but you know, that that's probably the best they could have done as far as bringing someone in, you know, there was talks about Bo Nix and all these other guys that just never quite panned out. Uh, Plumlee, works with the Malzahn offense because he likes quarterbacks who can run, you know, a la a Cam Newton, you know, you know, a guy who can throw Nick the Marshall. Ball. Yeah. Nick Marshall, Nick Marshall yeah. you know, a guy who, who, who has an arm, but can tuck it and run with authority. And, and he fills that uh, can more uh, gamble, big tight end, uh, very well established uh, is here for a super senior year. The real question is, how does that impact Alec Holler, who had a breakout season last year? What's, what's going to happen with him? Is he going to kind of fade a little bit in, into a second string spot? Or is he going to be able to hold on to that starting spot? Obviously, there's going to be competition. Nothing's guaranteed. That one's going to be a, a real fun one to watch because uh, I mean, Holler was a lot of fun to watch. And as the season wore on, he just was you know clutch. He was great at third down conversions, had a great eye. For, know, uh, for knowing where the first down markers were, had very sure hands, good feet. Uh, it's, and, uh, you know, he's still working on his, his blocking techniques. Obviously, uh, Jake Hescock was was the, the blocking specialist tight end. Uh, Gamble's going to have to figure out where he best fits. And, and that's mm-hmm. partly why uh, new offensive coordinator Chip Lindsey has his work cut out for him. These are a bunch of new guys coming in but everyone's new for him. So it's really a good timing to come join the UCF offense. Now on the defensive yep. side, uh, Kobe Perry is a guy I'm a real fan of uh, transfer from Austin P you know, was a defensive player of the year last year, you know, had a couple of interceptions, a lot, a number of tackles for loss plays at the safety position. Safety is an area that UCF can use a little bit of help. And I think he's going to slide right in and make a big difference along with Terrence Lewis uh, redshirt freshman, uh, you know, very highly touted recruit. Obviously, going into uh, into college, he was a five star recruit. was was pretty much looking like he was going to go to Auburn, and then they fired Gus Malzahn, so Auburn was taken out of the picture. Ended up at Maryland, didn't play last year. Injury. Now he's here. He, obviously, his ratings went down, but who cares? Obviously, this guy has a lot of talent. Uh, he's had a chance to heal. 
I, I think this is going to be a, a great opportunity for a player like him and Katie McDaniel to, to kind of fill in for that, for, you know, Bryson Armstrong, who, who has since moved on as well as the depth, uh, you know, you lost Tatum Bethune and Eric Gilliard to the transfer portal. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity for these players on the linebacking in the linebacker position to slide right in and become instant contributors. Only question for you on this. Because there's a really good recap. Um, of all these guys, of these eight guys, which one is going to have the biggest impact in your opinion in 2022? Ooh, biggest impact. I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah, that that is that is definitely on the spot. Um if I had to pick someone, I'd probably go with Ryan Swoboda because you know, losing Cole Schneider, who was a do-it-all, and Marcus Tatum you know, who, who played the right tackle position. Swoboda's specialty is the right tackle. Mm-hmm. Uh, or as, as, as Kyle Nash likes to hear uh, uh, Ed Odron say, tackle. Uh, it's, he's going to have to come in and, and really, really cover that, that spot. And I, I think he, he's got the best chance to, to make a big difference, at least for this one year. And again, 6'10", 325 pounds. Uh, he started, you know, all but one game last year at right tackle. And that's where that's his spot. So you've got the experience, you've got, you've got the technique. There's a need. Everything screams. He's going to be the guy. And so I think he's going to be the one that, that makes the biggest impact next year. Got two, six, 10 guys on that offensive line with Rue belt, man. That's going to be, I put the call up Johnny Dawkins. We need to we need to get him in on this. All right, Stat yeah, Boy Drew new, on we Twitter. We got the new Twin Towers Andrew, right there. Andrew Andrew Glukov joining us to talk real quick about the tra- the eight transfers that have officially joined UCF for 2022 on National Signing Day in February, and that's a perfect segue to talk to bring in the student of the game himself, Kyle Nash, as we switch gears to talk about hoops. I think those here. two know each other. I, I just I, go they home. may or may not. I don't know, but we wanted to get never heard of her. Kyle in here. Yes, but uh, Kyle, what's up, man? We've got. Uh, well, <clears throat> I want to start with women's basketball here, as uh, it, it, because they played the most recently on Monday, mm-hmm. makeup game against Temple. That UCF gets off to their now patented lousy start, right? <laughs> Uh, tw- down 24 to 11 in the first half, and then they fight back in the second one point game at halftime. Temple kind of had a little something going to the third, but then in the if you take just the second and fourth quarters, Kyle, mm-hmm. UCF outscored Temple 43 to 17. Um, what was the key in this one, man? Because, because believe it or not, I can't believe I can't believe I'm saying this. In her five years here at UCF, Masi Kaba posted her first ever 20-point game. Right, and was one of a pair of double-doubles. Listen, I love that Masani uh, Kaba got her 20 points. Um, I had just talked to her uh, after the previous game about the fact that she had uh, 17, and that was a big deal uh, in and of itself. That's a big part of it. But the post players took over, Jeff. This is what you see here, right? In this situation, I, I, I mean, listen. Diamond Battles is great, and she will continue to be great. But and and the evidence of that is me saying an eight-point game is a down performance, right? <laughs> but in this case, I mean, Coach Abe has said it herself often that this team is versatile and can have different combinations, do different things. Destiny Thomas, though, getting the double-double finally. 
that Coach Abe has been calling for throughout the season. A big 18 points from her, by the way. Um, eight for 13 on the fr- uh, free throw line is a big deal. Like, Kaba and Thomas are doing what what I feel like Coach Abe draws out that she wants post players to do. Um, you know, snag, snag rebounds, which they obviously did both with 11. Score points when you get the opportunity, as both of them did. And if you don't score, get to the free throw line, which the two of them combined. 15 for 24. Granted, not necessarily a great percentage at 15 for 24, but getting to the foul line 24 times, that's what Coach Abe is asking for. Now, I think what was good about that game too, Kyle, was the fact that Temple's game plan looked like they I saw this. I wonder every single time that one of the players got one of them got the ball in the high post, either Kaba or Thomas, and this worked with Brittany Smith too when she played. Mm-hmm. They just backed off of the bigs 15 feet from the hoop mm-hmm. and 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 collapsed on the because UCF likes to do some of that high low action a little bit mm-hmm. where they'll have one post down low and then another post up you know up by the elbow or on the free throw line. They just backed off of the big who was on the free throw line and Mosny and Destiny were just like. All right, no problem. And then they were shooting jumpers, right, with, and making them. And that, and I think that, or they were taking the ball to the rack and getting fouled. So that's that really encouraged me to see like that that this team is like is confident enough where they're like, okay, if you're going to give us this, we're going to take it. And I mean, you, you mentioned Brittany Smith in there too. She's the I, I use the term air quotes finesse post player because she could still knock people on their backs too she had seven boards in the game herself for example she just wasn't feeling uh, uh she just didn't have quite as hot a hand right she was you know two for eight from the field not that she's a bad player by any stretch but four points you could usually get to six or eight out of her she's capable she's been capable we're used to seeing that high post shot from her um uh, i've talked to abe about it i believe she said it on the podcast that you and eric had with her coach abe um, that Masini's biggest ascent is to score more. Those high post shots are something we may not have seen this time last year, two years ago um, from Masini Kamba. So in the past, that's a good strategy. They just paid for it this time because they got better. Kyle, the, the thing that, I, that I'm the most concerned about is these, these slow starts in the sure. first quarter. And you saw, I mean, the Tulane game you were at was the it's, same except thing. against USF. That wasn't a, I, that wasn't a slow. That was the exception to the rule. <laughs> But it kind of bit them at Cincinnati in that loss. And I bring that up because obviously they got Memphis coming up this weekend. But then they go on the road to Houston. And then on Super Bowl Sunday, they are going to Tampa in an enormous game that will have massive implications to the conference championship game. You can make the argument the winner of that game is probably the heavy favorite to win the league. It'll be a it's bigger than the actual Super Bowl. The Super Bowl will be a drag. We already know who's going to win that game. Uh but you do? We, yeah, I mean, come on. We the Rams, do. yeah, the Rams are going to walk over. It's okay. a home game. It's a home game for Glad Clay. we're recording this. But anyway, <laughs> th- that game doesn't even matter. It's irrelevant because the UCF deal. And my concern is you can't fall behind against teams like USF and expect to catch up, Kyle. Uh, you've talked to Coach Abe about it. I know they don't have the answer because if they did, they would fix it. But what do you see? What, what Do you have a theory why they get these dig themselves these holes? Is it... Is it just one of those things where they just, they just kind of wait to adjust? Or what do you make of it? See, see, Eric has asked me to put on my tinfoil hat here. I love it. Um, yeah, and and you you come, I've asked Coach this question, and I believe the first time I asked it, her response and total humor was, "If you could tell me, let me know." You know. <laughs> so, um, but um, I what what I'm going to put together actually is based on the post game 
um, not from the Temple game, but from the game previous, where I asked Masani, uh, the Tulane game, uh, I asked Masani Kaba herself, uh, she and Diamond, who I was talking to them, they, uh, I asked them, was there an element of being tentative? Was there, I didn't call it timidity, and I hate using that word, um, because I think that's too strong. I mean, you know, the, when you got post players that can knock other players over, timid's the wrong word. But Masani did confirm that there's a tendency among some of the players to pass up um, a shot thinking they can find a better one by dishing it to a teammate. Overpassing, being a little too unselfish. Right, and I think Masani put it back best. When they start to realize that they are the best shot, that's when you start to see it hoop. And from that standpoint, um, you know, the, I think the confident shooters right now are certainly diamond, certainly Tay. I have watched games where the entire bench shouts at Alyssa Lewis. I, I was just going to say, yeah, me too. And, <laughs> yeah, you're closer to the shouting than I am, Jeff. I mean, let's be real. Right, they're actually shouting right. at him. They're actually, they're actually shouting, shouting at him. In my yeah. direction. Yeah. Shoot it! You know <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised they don't take the mic from you, Jeff. <laughs> Shoot it, let's not, you know. Uh, yeah. uh, but, like, that's the kind of, uh, you know, we make all these jokes to kind of highlight the fact that that's, I think that's got to be where the slow start is. Because, you know, all uh, anybody who's a former athlete could tell you, and people who have watched ath former athletes can tell you, getting warmed up's important. That's why they spend 30 minutes before the games, right? So getting into that rhythm, getting warm, um, if you're uncomfortable is what removes that uh, nature of being uncomfortable. Now, note that the one game that they uh, didn't require that so much, if my theory holds true, that USF game, listen, I know how you can find a game that they would get more hyped for in the conference than that game, point blank. So that could account for it. Well, you're to your point, and you and Jeff were there in person in the USF game, and Coach Abe, we talked to Coach Abe about it in the podcast. They shot with confidence in that game. Right. It was, and maybe it was one of those things where they were so locked in that it wasn't overthinking or being like, well, maybe I should pass here. They were just aggressive because, in part, because South Florida was giving them the, the shot. They were playing off. They were playing like, oh, we dare you to shoot the ball. So guess what? You're going to take the open shot. You know, we'll get into more about that matchup next week uh, in that matchup. That's a huge, huge game. I cannot emphasize how big that is. But UCF can't look past that because you got Memphis at home. And then, Jeff, I know you've got this one circled at Houston before mm -hmm. USF. That's a tricky game there as well. Uh, kind of a tricky part of the schedule there at Houston before that USF game. Yeah. If, well, I mean, at 15 and three, I mean, that's the one that I think is. It, it, that is an easy game to overlook if you're not careful, but right. I don't think they will here because remember when Houston came here back on the 11th of January, UCF won by three. So, you know, maybe in previous years that might have been like a real danger matchup, but no, but that not this time around, but that is a tough, tough stretch. And let's, uh, it, you know, and, and Memphis here too. You know, I don't know what we're going to get from Memphis in this so game. It's a new coaching staff, new system there. So you, yeah. that always brings a little bit of, you know, we don't know what to expect type of deal. But, Kyle, Coach Abe told you that even though this is kind of a busy stretch of the schedule, that's actually a good thing for them, isn't it? They, they actually like playing a lot more, right? Right, yeah, no. She, she, she definitely intimated that from a preparation standpoint for getting the players ready, it's a lot – you have to be a lot less creative as a coach when there's a game staring you in the face. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, 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 she was talking about, um, I think it was leading to the – um, Cincinnati game um, that they had six days off. 
So, uh, uh, you know, trying wow. to keep them focused leading into that was a challenge, she said. So, yeah. Um, right now, UCF, as we go to the net watch here, uh, Eric, is uh, where are they? I just had, Oh, yeah. They moved up one spot to 40. South Florida is at 38. So they uh, uh, functionally, Kyle Nash, neither of those teams have moved since the last meeting. For all intents and purposes, yes. And, and, yeah. and like to say, I'll put it this way. While I don't necessarily sign off that the winner of the next USF-UCF game uh, declares uh, the favorite for the conference, what I will say is UCF does have a heck of, oppor- of an opportunity to look good sweeping. Uh, yeah. Well, it's a two-game swing. That's why it's a, it's a two-game swing because the winner of that, you know, if UCF were to win that game, they mm-hmm. would get the tiebreaker edge. So they almost would pick up an extra game on them if they could pull that off. Uh, whereas if USF wins, they split the schedule, and odds are USF will end up winning the tiebreaker, depending on how the rest of the year goes, because UCF has that loss against Cincinnati, which is kind of hovering there a little bit. That's the one that kind of stings a little bit. Real interesting point, by the way, Charlie Cream, the bracketologist for ESPN, mm-hmm. has UCF as the nine seed right now playing in Raleigh against Florida Gulf Coast, 8-9. He's projecting him to win the league. South Florida, he has him as a nine seed playing Missouri in uh, Louisville, with Louisville being the top seed, NC State the top seed in that region uh, there. So uh, that's a good sign that they're both nine seeds for Charlie Cream. I think that's fair. Uh, But again, uh, you know, they got to take care of business first because you mentioned it, Jeff. Memphis kind of new coaching staff early Saturday tip. And again, you, you, I, I just want to see a good first quarter for a change. Don't play from behind. Don't dig a <laughs> you know hole. What, you know, I don't, I don't care about the first quarter, okay? You know what I want to see? I want to see us win the rest of the game. The dub. That's that's all I care Yeah, about. but it's a lot easier to do that if you win the first quarter. At least stay even. That's all. Well, well if, if my maybe. theory holds our, our, I mean, our friend Noah Goldberg's like stressed out after each first quarter. He's nervous. We have to calm him down. Noah all the time. Relax. It's okay. We'll be fine. It shoots better that way. It's great. No, (laughs) I'll put it this way. If you're looking for that turnaround in the first quarter, I would not point to the Memphis game where the strategy is uncertain. I don't think that's (laughs) Are you saying it's going to be like another 22 to nine first quarter? I'm not saying that either. (laughs) (laughs) We find that middle ground guys. Like (laughs) that's all we're asking. Middle ground. Yeah. It's it's got to be it, listen. It's got to be next next games that we do, Kyle. We just have to joke with Coach Abe about it in the press conference. Like an oh, a li- little better first quarter this time. You're only down seven or whatever it is. You know, it's, ladies and gentlemen. Let's talk how, about that effort. Let's let's notice how Boss Man says we when I'm the one in the salt mine. I'm just yeah, I know. <laughs> what, what do you think we pay you for? All right, I want to flip over to uh, to the men's side here because well, that was a missed opportunity. Uh, in their last game out uh, against the Houston Cougars. A game where UCF really had a couple shots there, Kyle. Yeah. Um, I believe it was, they were within what? I think it was three or four. Three. Three points in the second half and couldn't get, just couldn't get get that one bucket that they needed to tie it up. And let's give credit to Kelvin Sampson in Houston. That is a really well-coached team. Every guy on that roster, just just from my relatively amateur observation, every guy on that roster knew the scouting report on every guy on UCF's roster cold. And you can tell by the tendencies that they forced him into. Every time Darren Green got open, they got him off of his spot. He could not shoot in rhythm. 
every time Brandon Mahan got the ball, they let him either shoot from the outside or if he drove to the basket, they forced him left. And Brandon's not re- has a lot of trouble finishing with his left hand. In fact, he didn't finish with the left hand at all. He had a couple like acrobatic layups going to the left where he used his right hand. So that was rough. Um, and yet still they were, you know, it just felt like they were right there, but didn't have enough enough gas to get over the hump. So what was what did we learn from that? So a couple things. Um, like yeah, and 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 please keep in mind, as I say all of this, Jeff is spot on. Houston is a very complete team. There is a reason they are rec- ranked top ten in the bleeding nation. They they belong there based yeah. on that. Don't be um, so, and don't be surprised if they go to the final four again. As yes, far as I'm concerned. Yes, exactly. Right. I'm glad you mentioned the point of the consistency there too. I yeah, that definitely should be mentioned if you're describing this Houston team. Um, as for UCF guys and the way they competed, listen, I have to give, first of all, I have to give a ton of credit to Chikambake Jean battling, um, Josh, I forget. Carlton, Carlton. Josh Carlton. Carlton. My God, Um, that guy's good. I I believe the way it was put by somebody else in the press row that he is a grown bleep man. Okay. (laughs) And that is an accurate fact, you know, um, he's a large human being, but also had touch much like Chicken Bucket Jong, right? So it, it, I got to love the fact that he managed to dunk on this grown bleep man while being fouled uh, as, um, as Derek. As we have photographic evidence of it, courtesy of Derek Warden. That's right. Um, so, you know, I got to give a ton of credit to him. Um, the guards finding a way to get hot. Um, listen, they, they tried to knock Darren Green off. Um, they only really successfully did that late. Uh, props to him. Um, I feel like Darius Perry was slow to find his way, but he found it later, got a few key shots in towards closing that gap. Um, I mentioned Bakke. Um, He had eight points in the second half that closed, that really kind of was a huge part of that gap closing that we mentioned. But I really think what killed him were the cold streaks here. And a lot of that is tied to a 1-12 in Brandon Mayhem. You know, I, I'd hate to put the kid on blast, but the particular example here is that you? We have yet to see a game, including the 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 vaunted Michigan game, gentlemen, where all three, Darius Perry, Darren Green, and uh, Brandon Mahan are all on fire at the same time. Um, that that has yet to happen. And when asked, you know, uh, Coach Dawkins is 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 just as uh, perturbed or sorry, perplexed as to why that is as well, you know. I, but then how would you explain that? Like, it's, it's kind of a flow thing, you know, but if they fix that um, and they don't, by the way, go scoreless for the last five minute, minutes of the contest, they have a very different ball game. Yeah. I, I think we have to, you know, so UCF is no longer being even mentioned by Lenardi right. in, in his bracketology. So now <laughs> I bailed. think we have to. He bailed. Yeah, he, but uh, SMU's still in there, but he's still got SMU out, even though SMU's at six. Yeah, no, because, I mean, tell, this is not a good year for the league. This is a bad year for the league. They are in serious jeopardy of being only a one-bid league if Houston ends up winning the conference tournament. Uh, but, you know, it is what it is on that. Uh, you know, right now, from a UCF standpoint, you can't worry about any of that. You're just trying to get a win. You got to get a win this Thursday. This is a big game here. You got USF. This is your rival. Kyle has adjusted his schedule. Kyle's a busy man. He's an important man. He's going to be covering the Super Bowl next week. He's not going to be with us. Going out big- to L.A. I am. He, he could easily be there right now, but he chose to stick around to cover this USF game. What a dude. See, I mean, that's the, the unselfishness of him there. 
My question is, will UCF actually show up like you will, Kyle, on Thursday? Because they didn't show up when they were in Tampa a couple weeks back, which was really their worst performance of the year. Yeah, and I don't think that's close. And and I'll, t- yeah. I, I'll tell you what, I, I, I have spoken of this in other places when I've talked to UCF football players, and I even mutter the word the 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 numbers 2015 together i get a look that is a combination of either you know the desire to throw things or infinite sadness and the same thing happens when we were talking to bake after the houston game and someone brought out usf i got that man that was awful and i want and i want another shot face um Mm -hmm. and bake by the way first year guy on this campus right he's a fifth year senior but like this is his first year playing here and he's got that feeling that tells me as a and he, him being a captain as well i should add that tells me he's ready to lead this group to get some of that vengeance because we've cited in the past eric and it kind of came to be um while they were still playing some out of conference games right they had um they had um bethune cookman and another college to uh to build into um the Michigan game, I think it was. Yeah, they had they had Bethune Cookman and North Carolina A and T, and then uh, it would have been Florida State, but that got postponed. Uh, North Alabama was the last game before Michigan. Right. right. Um. So 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 we were leading into we we were saw the situation where those games were leading into that Michigan game, a Michigan game to give them something to build. And you notice Brandon Mayhan steadily improving over that time. You noticed even Isaiah Adams steadily improving over that time everybody else finding their groove into it and then it set the table for that big michigan game the closest thing gentlemen i think they have on their schedule right now to find that spark in league play is this usf game um if they achieve coming out like they're supposed to and give themselves something to build on there's going to be something legit there and i think they can do that also if they don't Boy, that's really going to take some wind out of the sails, and, and Johnny Dawkins will truly have a difficult task, in my opinion, trying to uh, get that motivation right where it needs to be for his guys. Well, especially when you got to go to Memphis following that, the house, the house of yeah. horrors there. Two days two days later, right? Yeah, yeah, that's Ugh. not going to be fun. Then you host Wichita State for a, a rare 9 o'clock Orlando tip, Eastern time tip. Mm-hmm. Holy macro. Get your caffeine ready, people, for that one. Uh, so, <laughs> But look. The issue is with this team, and I think we've seen it with the two years, they need Perry, Green, Mayhem, and I'll throw Isaiah Adams, who was good last year, hasn't been this year. Of those four guys, you need two to three of those guys to, to do well for them to be successful. When they struggle, if only one of them does well, it's str- it's a struggle for them to score. We saw that in Tampa. We saw that in the Houston game. That's their offense. That's where their offense is coming from. And they're streaky guys. And, you know, the South Florida series has traditionally been a low-scoring series. They they play low-scoring, close games. I mean, Opposite and, of the women, by the way. Right. It's weird. <laughs> but, look, that was it. I agree with you, Kyle. If, if they're ever going to come out ready to go, this has to be the game. Because they were embarrassed in that game. That was an, an ugly, ugly performance. It was so ugly that you were internally you were pointing the finger at our colleague andrew you were blaming him because he was oh, covering the, totally the poor guy was covering the game that's how bad it was it got you're, really you're screaming at him in the chat to like just leave the arena yeah now. you were like, <laughs> remember kids the lesson we we taught you last week about false eggs it's a great marketing tool no um i can't agree with you more on that eric and, and, and i think that, i think you mentioned memphis see if they do beat usf and they're going into that memphis game 
we've seen Memphis have some a little bit of uh, that dysfunction, and I'm not necessarily referring to a press conference, but that does help. Um, like with, with it's okay, we can refer to that. It's all right. Where it's Penny Cardaway basically cussed out the 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 his media because God forbid they actually had expectations for his high recruited uh, touted class that's got multiple lottery picks. How dare you? I, I, I sense sarcasm. No, I, but it, 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 here nor there that or who's who's still injured or who is not with all that in mind with what's going on. They're not at their full strength, too. That could be step two in a confidence building sweep that brings people uh, that brings the players up to be ready to take care of business to even it up against Wichita. So think about it. If they can sweep both USF and Memphis on the way to uh, to to um, splitting with Wichita, it's not a bad place to be. Boy, that's going to be a tough ask at Memphis, though. I mean, that's like we said, like Eric said, house of horrors up there because it's a, it's 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 basically an NBA game every time up there. I mean, they get true. twenty thousand people in that arena, you know. So I mean, it's hopefully you but, get off. To, but if you get off to a good start at Memphis, right? They'll they'll turn on that Memphis team because they've and, turned and, on that that, and, that fan base. Right. Turned, and and the other on. thing is too, just like we saw in that first game too, is you know Memphis wants to turn it into a track meet, and the good thing is you know I think we have the ball handling to kind of take the wind out of their sails a little bit. It got close a couple times. Now That's where Darius off. Johnson and Perry right. playing together right. will probably be a factor in that. Yeah, soon I think game. definitely. All right. So I'm the back, schedule finally said his name, by the way, Eric, because as you're breaking down that offense, don't forget that kid could do some things. To oh, he does, but he's a freshman. He shouldn't be asked to do as much as he's kind of been asked to do. It should be the veterans. I, the Mayhams, the Perrys, the Greens. Listen, the, let's not baby him too much, okay? No, he's no, not I'm not doing suggesting. anything more than what he's being asked to do. And he's being – it's good that he's being asked to do more. I, no, I agree. I he's agree. He's the I'm future, just, man. I agree, but he's learning on the job. He's done a good job. I don't uh, – I, I, Yes, I, they all learn on the job. <laughs> I, I, I'm not saying that he should be a focal point per se, Eric, but yeah. – if you got a team that's coming out defensively and has realized that you and I have that the key to slowing this D-town team down is to getting Darren Gree out of the game early, if that happens and they achieve that and they start to cover the veterans and they're giving the kid opportunities, Darius Johnson makes them. No, play. that's fair. That's fair. You're yeah. absolutely 100% agree with that. Agree 100%. Okay. All right. So the schedule, This is like we said, this is a busy five-day stretch for UCF with three massive games. Home South Florida, Thursday, February 30, SPN+. Plus. 7 p.m. Saturday, February 5th, two days later, 8 p.m. at Memphis. That's on ESPN2. And then the late tip at home Tuesday, February 8th against Wichita State, ESPNU. That's a 9 p.m. That's the real reason why start. Kyle's going out west, so he could just watch the Woo. game early at 6. What a stretch, that's man. One, that, is, that, is a, that is a stretch, boy. <laughs> Let me tell you. That is hard. Um, but, man, if they come out of this... I mean, there's if they come out of here two out of three, or even better, three out of three. If they come out of here three out of three, that's well, that's right in the ship in a big way, isn't it? Well, yeah, but you got to win the first one. The USF one's first, a must. You, you have get that to one win. out of the way. You have to win that game. Otherwise, just got shut it. off yeah. your social media's all over the place. Don't even go. Just don't even. <laughs> if you lose that game, just turn Eric it off. Is, Eric turn is off. projecting again. Uh, and on the bright side, though, if they lose that game, Drew is definitely then uh, Kyle owes Andrew an apology publicly. Oh so. yeah, if they lose it there too, he's vindicated. Sure. Yeah. I'll, I'll yeah. There you go. We'll be... I owe, I'm well owed one anyway. <laughs> oh, you're, you're oh I, I, you're the one telling me about tackle and stuff. Why? Why are you? <laughs> <over there? laughs> all right, all right. That's sorry, how's enough. that pronounced, Kyle? 
that is enough out of you two. Um, go get a room somewhere. All right. Uh, Kyle Nash, thanks for joining us. The student of the game, the SOTG on Twitter. Uh, you can follow him for all the latest on UCF basketball and also all your Super Bowl coverage from one of your other jobs. Oh, my God. You actually get to go to the Super Bowl. Are you, now, are you going to be at the game? Not at the game, but I will be doing oh. all the media coverage. Um, okay. You know, Covering our UCF will you Rams be back? Mr. UCF, will, Mr. Will, will you be will you be back from the game or before the game? No. Um I I will be I will be taking in the game um in Los Angeles. Um who knows? Maybe I'll find a way and get lucky, but um that's that's the plan. What he's I'm really saying is he's secretly gonna uh shoot a commercial for the Super Bowl. That's what he's Oh, doing. I see. He's gonna okay. scalp a ticket. Yeah, or that too. That These too. are all great <laughs> ideas. Should I be taking notes? <laughs> Andrew is it is it Statboy Drew on Twitter. Uh, you can follow him for the latest on UCF football uh, and all things uh, uniform and logo related, which is one of the things that we've been nerding out on the past uh, few hours here on this Groundhog's Day. So, gentlemen, thank you once again for your contributions. Be safe out there. And uh, Kyle, going to be a busy, busy couple weeks, man. Hey, listen, honor, joy, and privilege as always. But like I say, class will still be in session, but for now, class dismissed. When we return, Emily Marin reopens class to school us on UCF women's golf and her team as they prepare for the spring half of the season with five tournaments leading up to the American. Can the Knights do it again when the American get back to the NCAA championships and have a shot at a national title. We will see with head coach Emily Marin. When we return, this is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez with you here. Bryson Turner joining us on the program to talk about UCF women's golf as we start our spring previews. We've seen Emily Marin year in and year out, guys, just pump out success. Constantly. And this year looks to be another really good year for her program. They, they uh, you know, as successful as they've been, you know, over the course. Of, and it's and listen, it's hard to be consistently successful in golf. Just ask anyone who's played golf. It's hard to be as consistently successful in golf as UCF has been uh, on the women's golf side. So, um, so Bryson, you, you know, you got the chance to talk to Emily and what is her general sense as we uh, before we before we get to that interview with them what is her general sense of where her program stands heading into the 2022 season well she's look right now she's she's looking ahead to the first matchup of 2022 which of course is their home match at eagle creek golf club the ucf challenge and it seems like she's just working on like some development things she has a new uh, a new freshman coming in and Victoria Le- Levi from Switzerland. So she has to break her, her in um, and just continuing people, the season's development from the fall, because it is one, it's look, it's one continuous season from the fall to now. It's just that now that you're in the spring and you only have five events left until the conference championship game or conference championship tournament, you need um, you, this is when you buckle down and really get yourself prepared for those big events. It's sort of like teaching to the test in a way, I guess you want to say. All right. Well, we're going to hear about that from uh, Emily right now as uh, Emily Marin joins us on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. I guess I want to go ahead and start with how is the uh, kind of the team doing? You got your home match of the season coming up the 1st of 2022 
this upcoming weekend on February 6th, the Eagle Creek Golf Club. How's kind of the, the vibe going, going into this? Yeah, it's an exciting week. Uh, this is our only home tournament of the year. So to have 17 other schools come here on our home course, it's a lot of fun, a lot of work, but we're looking forward to it. And uh, the weather looks to be great. So that was a concern of last weekend. It was a little cold. So I know all these teams will be happy to be here in Florida and enjoying the good weather. All right. So looking at where you, you guys left off in the fall, you guys, uh, as, a, as a team, at least, you guys seem to be a breaking into the top 25-ish. You guys were ranked 25 in the coaches poll, 27 by Golf Week, and 22 by Golf Stats. So what do you think um, What do you think happened this fall, Like, at least as far as from your perspective, that, let, that helped this team get to the position it's in now? And what do you think it has to do to move higher going forward into the spring? Yeah, obviously we have some players that have surprised us a little bit. And one was Zoe Alou, our freshman coming from France. Because of COVID, I didn't get to recruit her really or Steve. We didn't see her play. So it was a little unexpected what Zoe was going to do. But I think she has added um, a lot to our lineup. Obviously, she tied the school record in the fall. And just, just was that kind of extra power that we needed to get into the top 25. I said this summer, to Steve in the office, I'd say, you know, I'm tired of kind of just being top 40. We want to make that press into the top 20 and the top 10. And that just takes consistency across the board. We also started working out more. I thought that was something towards the end of last year, I, I could see our team getting fatigued and tired. So, you know, we, we amped up our workouts. We, you know, went from two days a week to three days a week in the weight room and just small changes like that. We also implemented more of a worksheet type of practice where this is the first time this past fall where I literally type up worksheet practices and they have to do exactly that. So there's little things here and there that we've tried to amp up that I think have, have made us just a little bit better. You know, it's so small, right, in golf, that, that difference between being top 40 and being top 20 and then to be in top 10. So um, every, every little thing counts. You, you talk about Zoe Alo, and she ended up really bursting onto the scene, tying the sing, single season uh, or the single round record for lowest round. What, what was it like during during that match to see a freshman go and do that? And what does that say to you about her development? Yeah, like I said, Zoe, literally the first time she was ever in the United States is when I picked her up at the airport in August and I had never met her. She had never been to the United States. So we, we had no expectations for Zoe. And, you know, she's obviously a tremendous talent, but she's just been that kind of spirit we need on the team too. Everybody loves her. She's a great kid, um, easygoing. But as a coach too, I have to learn her styles a little bit. That actual tournament where she shot 65, we, we joke with her prior to the, the day leading up to the practice round, we got there, everybody's practicing and Zoe was sitting on a bench and she's like, I don't need to hit balls. And I thought, okay, I don't know her that well. So let's see. And she just knows what she needs to do. Um, she, she's a very unique player and but she, her fundamentals are so good. She's such a good ball striker, but she's not somebody who wants to go out and practice for seven, eight hours, but she knows that like she knows her game really well, but we had to learn that. I mean, as a coach to sit there and say, okay, this girl ne like needs a day to kind of rest or needs some time. I didn't push her and say, no, get up here and hit balls. It was one of those things where I was like, let's see. And, you know, she goes on shoot 65. So, you know, in golf, it's so important that it's an individual sport. So they all know kind of what they need and when they need to push a little bit, but she, she's a really good player that I think that uh, will be one of our, our key components to the lineup this spring. 
Speaking of fr- uh, freshmen, Victoria Levi w- has now joined the team. Joined the team. Well, uh, I don't know when she'll make your her night's debut. I don't know when you have plans for that. But what are your plans for her going into this season? And what have you seen out of her so far? Because I imagine she hasn't been here that long. So what have you seen from her? And what could we, what could we see from her this season? She, she's another COVID kid, as we called them. We hadn't seen her play either because we couldn't get over to Europe to recruit. So. Um, you know, she's only been here with us three or four weeks, and it, it takes a little bit. That transition sometimes is a little bit harder for others. You know, first round wasn't so great, but now we've seen her kind of getting adjusted. And like I say, there's a lot to go into playing great golf of being comfortable here and learning our system and school and just everything that goes into it. So I, I think she'll be okay. It's hard as a freshman to come in midway through the season and try to get into a lineup that's 22nd in the country. Um, but I think that she could be by the end of the season, probably right there, whether she's playing five or she's our sub at NCAAs, you know, that's, we actually just at lunch talking about that. That's our goal is, you know, NCAAs and learning who can be in the lineup for conference regionals, nationals, of course, these tournaments are important, but we're kind of building the lineup to see who are we going to play at conference? Who are we going to play at regionals? Who's going to be the national championship? And obviously, Victoria, she could be in that. We just need to get her some experience quickly. When you miss out on the fall season, you know, and this week is going to be her first college tournament ever. So, you know, we'll see how she does. She'll probably play as an individual for us this week. And then we'll just kind of see from there if she, if she can step up and make the lineup by the end of the year. Yeah, you talk about uh, like, just like building the lineup for these big tournaments. And one thing that like for golf and in comparison to other sports that UCF has is that you guys don't really have a lot of chances to compete before you go to the conference championship. I'm looking uh, at the schedule. Now you have the UCF challenge, the moon golf invitational in Melbourne, Gainesville, Briars Creek and Brickyard and the Brickyard Collegiate in Macon. That is five, only five tournaments before the American athletic conference championship in Pinehurst, North Carolina. So, uh, so can you, can you talk about like being in a sport where you don't really have as many chances as others to really uh, figure out your figure out your game and how to prepare for that all important conference tournament. Yeah, golf's a little bit different. Although we only have five tournaments, I guess we have tournaments that are three days long. So it's not like one soccer game or one basketball game. We go and you're getting three rounds in of competitive golf, and and we we strategize of having a couple weeks off and giving them time to rest and building to the postseason. So. You know, that's the goal. Every team kind of plays four or five tournaments in the spring, and then you lead into a conference where, I mean, we think, you know, we should we should have a really good chance to win conference. I'm not saying we should win conference, but we'll probably go in the highest seed. Um, we should be, you know, the, the best team in the American conference. And but that doesn't really mean much. We've seen that, you know, year after year, the team that's sometimes the highest ranked in the conference, it's who's best on those three days. So we played the course last year at Pinehurst. It's the same course, and we have some girls who played there. So you know, I know our, our seniors really want a conference championship. They've been to the national championship, but they've never won a conference. So that would be special for them. So we have some big goals for the rest of the spring. Yeah. Speaking of those seniors, uh, Anna Laura Collado and Alyssa Lamoureux, looking back at their fall statistics, they seem to went, go through a little bit of struggles on, on the course or over the course of the fall. So uh, can you talk about like kind of what, what was going on with them in the fall and maybe what they could improve, uh, how they could improve their scores going into the spring? 
Yeah, and if you look statistically, maybe Anna Laura, the thing with Anna, she's a fifth year and she's in the DeVos school and school was a lot for her and she, she'll even admit that. She was very overwhelmed with the, the coursework and how much she had to be away from golf and didn't practice as much. And now it's funny, Anna Laura, we, we're finishing qualifying this week. She's going to be in the lineup next week. It's the UCF challenge. She's probably playing number two for us. So I think she's settled into her fifth year a little bit more, has kind of a better grasp of school and her time management. Um, Alyssa, she's probably playing about the same. It's just the, the fact that we say, you know, we, we're, our job as coaches is to recruit players that are better than the ones we have. And that's just reality. And Zoe came in and she's taken a spot. And that's what we say to our players next year. We get two more players in. They're going to be already in the lineup. So you have to continue to work on your game and get better and develop. And if not, we're recruiting younger players that come up hungry. And, you know, I mean, it's tough when you're a senior. I mean, I think that you think this is my last home tournament. This is my last conference championship. You have a lot of emotional stuff going on, too, as a, as a senior versus a freshman who comes in, doesn't even know what the American Conference is. So that's my job is to kind of keep them a little bit balanced. And I just had a talk with Alyssa yesterday. Let's just worry about day by day. Let's not worry about the whole big picture of this is my last tournament. This is my last year. So seniors, sometimes it's, it's a little hard because they get emotional and it's their, it's their last farewell and they, they want to go out on top. So you talked about how, you know, how you expect or, or, or that or have a solid prediction will go into the American Conference Championship at the highest seat, at the highest seed. And uh, what I've seen a lot of Nash of nationals talk about looking at the rankings and looking at the NCAA preview, they mentioned Camille Banzett as you guys' highest, highest ranked player. Can you talk, can, so can you talk about Banz, how Banzett, Banzett's fall and what contributes to the, the accolades that she has been receiving? Yeah, Cam's another player who, if you would have looked to statistically last year versus this year, I mean, I think she's ranked 60th in the country. She works harder than anybody um, that we have on the team. I mean, Cam's very focused. She's very disciplined. And I think she has some high goals this year. So she was another one who you know, came in last year playing maybe four or five for us. And now she's our, basically our number two player and only getting better. So, you know, we got that French power with Cam and Zoe that came in and, and they were kind of our dark horses that came, came in and really put a extra firepower in the lineup. And what's really cool, the, these girls that we've got in the lineup, any of them can shoot under par. And that's what it takes. I mean, we've got five girls that if they're all clicking on the right day, they can all shoot 67, 68. And that's what it takes to, you know, compete with these teams that are top 10 in the country. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Tenrata Pitten really managed to do that at the EV Odom Invitational. I have it right here. She managed to, uh, she got, she's the, she managed to be the fourth ever player in program history to get an individual victory. She broke and she she broke the lowest fifty four whole, whole score in school history by three strokes. And can you can you just talk about that weekend at at the EVO Invitational and what what happened what happened with Tenrata that weekend to get her to where she is now? And what do you think we could see from her this this spring? Yeah, we call her Pat. That's her nickname. And Thailand, they all have nicknames, so she goes by Pat. Um, it's funny with Pat, I say that Zoe and Cam were surprised. Pat's never a surprise to us. She's so good. She's so consistent. Um, you, you know, I actually had a talk with Pat prior to Princess Anne. I had her in the office and I just kind of told her she needs to make that little extra push. I could kind of see she'd 
she has a very calm demeanor. She never gets upset, never gets emotional. And that's a good thing. But every once in a while, you have to light that fire and say, Pat, I told her, I said, you can win this tournament. Go win. You've got to push a little bit and expect to win. Because I think she probably was like the highest ranked player in the field. And if she goes to the American Conference Championship, she will be ranked number one. So she has to have that little bit. And like I said, her strength is she kind of stays calm and doesn't show much of emotion. But I think maybe that's my job a little bit to get her motivated and, and kind of spur her on and say, hey, come on, you got to push a little bit. And she, she's fantastic. I mean, fundamentally, she's so good. If you watch her play, you think, how does she ever shoot over par ever? She's so consistent. So, I mean, like I said, you're never surprised if Pat wins. She won two tournaments her freshman year. She won the Vanderbilt tournament and another SEC event at Florida. So her freshman year started off so strong and then COVID came and obviously we all went home. She didn't come back that fall. She came back last spring. So she's just kind of starting back where she left off her freshman year. All right. And might as well go ahead and complete the set. Jess, I saw notice that Jess Baker has really improved her, improved her scores over the course of the fall. So how has her development been going and what can we see out of her this spring? Yeah, Jess is a really powerful player. She's she's probably our longest hitter on the team. Just tremendous power. We've just worked really hard with Jess, like 100 yards and in. She had to get better with wedging around the greens, and she, she admitted that too, so that she went home this summer. She put in the work with her coach back home, came here this fall, almost a, a different player inside of 100 yards, and is just more confident now. So I think that, you know, she's such a great power player that if, if she can get that short game down again, for her to shoot over par ever is probably a surprise because she's so powerful and any golf course, you know, for her, she can, she's hitting two or three clubs less than everybody else. And, you know, they're all just, they're just great together. I've said that from the beginning, we have like seven really solid people. And that's the other thing. I mean, you know, you can't do this just with talent alone. You have to have some really solid people and supporting each other. And there's a lot to it that goes into success at this level. So um, we're excited about what we have. Well, you're about to go up. Well, you're about to go up into another level very soon with UCF entering the Big Twelve conf, Big Twelve conference in the very near future. Uh, can you talk about what you what you might uh, what you expect go, going into that, even if it's a little, little bit far away, and how you could maybe expect things to change to change when once that transition happens? It's, it's exciting. I mean, going to the Big Twelve. Um, obviously, we're all excited about that. Um, for golf, it's a little different in the sense we don't play a conference schedule on a regular basis. We only have a conference championship, but the Big Twelve is a really strong women's golf conference with Texas and Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Baylor. I think we have probably four or five teams in the top twenty-five. So we know we have to up everything from. Our recruiting has to get a, a little bit stronger, our facilities, everything here. And we're excited. You know, I think we've been telling recruits, hey, we're going to a different conference, which, again, doesn't mean a lot for us in golf. And we don't change our goals at all. But I think to be able to go into a conference that's so top heavy in women's golf is exciting. What do you expect from this team going into this season? What are you looking to do? Yeah, I think big things. You know, we don't want to sit here and speculate, but if we keep doing what we do best and, and, you know, work on our attitudes, our effort, our preparation, I really think we can get to the finals again and make match play. I mean, I say it to, to Steve and I told the team, they all think I'm probably crazy, but I think we could win a national championship. And I'm not here saying you should put that out on social media, 
but we saw Ole Miss last year win women's golf national championship. And I think they're ranked 18th or 19th. Nobody expected Ole Miss to win, but our format that we have now with match play, if you can get to match play, you have a chance to win. And, and I don't like the format, by the way, I think it should just be stroke play, which it has for years. And we went to match play four or five years ago and the number, number one team or number two team, I don't think has ever won. It's it's teams that come from behind because match play is just so different. We don't play match play all year, but if we get to the national championship and with this group, you have that firepower that you could make the top eight to get into match play. You never know. So, um, you know, it's a big goal and, and, you know, we throw it out there and we just try to have fun with it, but, you know, obviously we want to win a conference championship. We want to go to regionals in advance. And this year for the first time, the women's golf championship has moved to the format of men's of, we have six regionals, only four teams from each region will advance. And that's different than the years past. So it doesn't make it harder. It's about the same percentages to get through, but instead of six teams making it through four teams make it. So it's, it's a little different that way. So we know, I mean, Florida state's hosting, um, Stanford's hosting a regional. There's a lot of these regionals that the host school more than likely will make it through because it's our home course. So then you only have three teams at each region that will make it through if, if you look at it that way. So you've got to play well and you should to get to a national championship. You have to play well in any sport. So that's what um, we're aiming to do. Speaking, speaking of your home golf course, that's where you're going to open your spring season. So can you just talk about Eagle, Eagle Creek golf club and what about it might give your, your team the edge in go, going into this first tournament of 2022 teams love coming to Eagle Creek to start their spring season. It's um, I shouldn't say easy. It's just, there's, there's not a lot of, anxiety provoking shots out there there's not a lot of out of bounds there's not a lot of water so you know you can kind of grip it and rip it out there and the power players do better but it's not a tight golf course it's kind of linksy style almost and the only defense that course has is kind of wind if it gets windy and cold it plays a little tough but I mean we had a girl I think one year from Tulane shot just years ago shot 29 on the front nine you can go out there and shoot 66 67 so I think teams really enjoy coming here you're not going to shoot a high score more than likely. So, but for us, we know you got to make birdies. You've got to just put the medal down right away. You can't um, go out there and just be playing for pars. We have to be playing for birdies. And we have, we've been playing it for the last three weeks. They've been playing really well. So we'll see. All right. Well, good luck. Th- good luck this weekend and good, good luck for this season. I think this, this team certainly looks uh, locked in and ready to go. And I'm excited to follow to follow you guys and how things end up ends up turning out. So, coach, are you going to help us get verified on Twitter? I really hope so. I that I, we'll have to add verify. We have to make. I don't sure. even know what that means. Somebody said that I was verified on Twitter. I'm like, I don't even know what that means. I think it just basically me. I think it's just so that it's a it's just a stamp of approval, so that way people don't steal your identity on Twitter, which is weird because almost every other UCF t- athletic team is verified on Twitter. And not the women's golf team, which I which I find quite odd. So that's it's if hey if you're look if you're looking to fix it, then I am certainly on on that team. Maybe I need to start like tracking Elon Musk flights or something like that. <laughs> maybe maybe yeah. I would I would add verified or something. I would yeah. I would I would probably do I would probably do he that. He right? would us. We could use a fundraising. You know, we could use that money. <laughs> Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, we got to. Yeah, hopefully we can get hopefully a bunch of us can get on that because that's something that we really hope gets to gets to be a thing soon. So, coach, thank you so much for joining for joining us today and best of luck. Yeah, we really appreciate your support. Thanks so much.
Thanks again to UCF women's head golf coach, Emily Marin, for her time and her insight on her program. Bryson, so, all right, like you said, uh, and like Emily said, too, five tournaments to go. Uh, Obviously, their home tournament, and then they play uh, a tournament in Melbourne, which is actually hosted by uh, Louisville. Uh, They play at the Lady Gator Invitational, as they do every year. They go to Kiowa Island and then Macon, and then it's AAC tournament time. So the plan right now, like you said, is teaching to the test, getting ready for that AAC tournament in mid-April in Pinehurst. And um, you know, as as we wrap up the interview, you know, your thoughts on, you know, are, are they a elite- are they a legit contender, not just for the AAC, which we know, but to really get far in the NCAAs this year? I think they, I think they should. Obviously, with golf, it it, it can be a it can be a little up and down depending on if somebody has a bad day or not. But if they manage to stay consistent, then I would say then I would say so. Zoe Alo, freshman, uh, freshman, absolutely doing really well for a freshman. You have Tenrata Pitten, who broke the fifty-four hole record, had a great fall. Um, and then you have Anna Laura Collado, who did not have a very great fall. But as Emily Marin explained in the interview, she's made a lot of progress since then. And I actually had the opportunity to meet her once when I was doing another story uh, on Richard Lapchick, who was her professor in the DeVos Sport Business Management Master's Program. And I can kind of see like, you know, it, it's a lot for her. So to see, uh, to hear that she is, uh, that she is working on that time management aspect and is looking like she has it down a lot more going into the spring season to the point that she's number two on the lineup for this week at the UCF challenge really shows me the development that this team has already undergone since the fall concluded. Yep. So I'm very excited. I'm very excited to see what this team is capable of at, when they start competing this weekend at Eagle Creek golf club. Yep, Eagle Creek is the home of the uh, UCF Challenge, UCF's home tournament. They have, again, they have three tournaments in, well, relatively close proximity here to Central Florida. Melbourne uh, at the Moon Golf Invitational on February 20th to the 22nd, March 5th and the 6th, the Lady Gator Invitational in Gainesville, but of course the home tournament February 6th through the 8th, the UCF Challenge for uh, UCF Women's Golf. Thanks again to Emily Marin for her time. Always good to see Emily, um, who is, by the way, Great follow on Twitter. Make sure you follow Emily on Twitter as well. And we need to get fantastic. the golf account verified. Yeah, we, yes, we need the blue. We need the blue check on that. All right, we come back. We got lots of other things to talk about, including tennis getting underway. Men's the uh, men finally getting off the schneid a little bit here, and uh, a couple other things that we wanted to. Uh, to we'll, actually, we're going to have some softball talk with Eric Lopez here for the first time this spring. I know he's been looking forward to them. Wow, here we go. Yes, some real softball talk. Stick around. We'll be right back. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Bryson Turner joining us once again here for our third segment as we clean up some loose ends here as we start with uh, tennis here, uh, Bryson. Uh, UCF men kind of got off to a little bit of a rough start, but they got, during that ITA Kickoff weekend, they kind of pulled things together a little bit here, right? They beat Louisville 4-3, to but then uh, lost to Stanford. So right now, this team is sitting at 1-3 and to the start. Boy, they, they just get off to such rough starts and then really pick it up. So um, any reason to panic in your mind? Um, I, it depends on what your perspective is. So 
they're they're oh the one team that they have beaten so far, Louisville, is not ranked. Georgia, Florida, and Stanford are all ranked in the ITA top in the ITA top top twenty five. So I think the biggest goal at the short term goal right now for the men's tennis team is to get over that hump and be a ranked team, which they will be able to do soon as they travel to face Wake Forest on Friday. So, uh, so, but that said, there is some glimmer of hope. Uh, Leighton Cronhey and Bogdan Pavel, which is a relatively new pairing that has come up this fall season, beat the number eight ranked doubles team pair in the country from Stanford, Arthur Fury and Alexandre Rostart, six to three. So while it was an overall loss, there, there is some very, int- some very interesting developments coming from this men's tennis team, and I think the problem is, is that they're just doing all this kind of development and experimenting at a time where they're going up against some of the best tennis teams in the country who are already kind of firing in on all cylinders. So it's really like you said before. It's, I think it's just going to depend on one: can they get over that hump and beat a ranked team? Because that's that's they got to do that now, and. After that, can they get some momentum going for conference conference play to get a conference championship? Man, how fast we change our standards here. Oh, we can't beat a ranked team. What's wrong with the program? I mean, hey, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that that that, that is that, that that we haven't done it yet. We have a I'm lot just of saying, we're playing John national Roddick. title Coach contenders Roddick. here. Coach Roddick, it, Coach John Roddick that was, was a tough schedule. We talked about this plenty of yeah. times on the yeah. podcast before. And the consequence of a tough schedule is you have things like this. Which um, is think, why they'll, and they'll be fine in the long yeah. run. It's early. Yeah, even yeah, even yeah, with um, that start, even with that start, sorry, Bryson, they're, they're, as of today in the ITA rankings, they're still ranked 25th. Yeah, they're so, still ranked in the top yeah. 25, even through all this. That's why I'm saying that th- that this is in the sense that because they, they need to win against a ranked team because they have a, couple, a lot of several ranked teams on the schedule coming up. They need to start winning now in order to maintain the top 25, the, the, their top 25 standing for the moment. I think over the next couple like week couple of weeks is when we're really i think we're gonna see what uh, what kind of team and where we could probably see them shoot for at the end of the season yeah on on the other side the women uh also split their weekend at the ita kickoff weekend they beat uc santa barbara four to two but then got uh got got it handed to them pretty handily by all number 25 auburn for nothing uh, on Saturday, they face number seven Virginia in Charlottesville on Friday this week. So, uh, and right now they're ranked 18th in the country. The loss actually dropped them down from 10th, but you know, again, they're still top 25 right now. Um, you know, they didn't have as bad of a drop as UCLA. He went from fourth to 19th in one week, but uh, again, not to, you know. Uh, not nothing too much really to worry about here. I mean, you know, you lost to what's ostensibly a higher ranked team. So uh, at least that UC Santa Barbara win was uh, was a pretty good one for them, though. Yeah, I would I would say so as well. I think it also provided some very valuable reps to freshman Noah Sidanova and Sophia Biole, who both got singles wins in that UC Santa Barbara Santa Barbara match. So 
yeah, I think it's, I think you got, you got some very valuable reps. You're getting a few different doubles pairings as well than we've, than we've seen that are ranked in the ITA rankings. Mm -hmm. So I think through this tennis season, especially because COVID COVID might've interfered with some new arrivals. We mentioned, um, we, we mentioned this last week with Brian Kenyako that, um, you know, they're, they're trying out some new pair, new pairings and making sure that once they, they have the strongest pairings going into their biggest matches later in the seasons. I think this is the case both on the on the women's side and the and the men's side because we've been seeing this on the men's side as well. So yeah, I would say that that this is this is a time in tennis where we're just kind of feeling each other out. Now we're mm-hmm. now if you have a tough schedule or not, that's really going to tell what kind of record you have. But uh, but this is where you know you. How, what better way to develop than going up against the best? I would say it's sort of like a, like when you carry weights up a hill and you get heavier and heavier as you go. So that way, when you go up without weights, it's a lot easier. Yeah. All right. Well, that number seven Virginia match is going to be tough, but we'll see how they uh, how they shape up going forward for that one. All right, Eric Lopez, the moment you've been waiting for, my man. Let's talk softball. There are rankings. I know you don't care too much about rankings, but UCF starts out the season some res- with a little bit of respect here. Receiving votes just outside the uh, USA Today NFCA top 25. Uh, so, you know, knocking on the door. And with that early season schedule, chance for them to kind of make a little noise, right? Got that opener coming up in uh, eight days against number 12, Georgia. Uh, and also two other teams are receiving votes, Minnesota and Fresno in the CFX Classic. Um, this is this is this is good. It's it's nice to have these little preseason headlines, right? So, but but where do you stand on the whole expectations game here when it comes to this kind of thing? Well, we'll get into that more next week. Uh, obviously, we'll do a big softball special podcast next couple of weeks. We'll have a softball special and a baseball special. Ball bat, it's here finally, February. Hallelujah. Bye-bye football. See you in September. Uh, hello, baseball <laughs> until and softball. The, until the spring game, and then here we go again. Yeah, anyway. well, you guys, you guys can enjoy that. <laughs> um, but, no, look, I mean, the expectations are, obviously, the couple of the big questions are, who replaces Aaliyah White in the staff? Gianna Mancho take over as the ace, but who's behind her? And, you know, the production, offensively, you lose a Jazz Esparza, you lose to Kira Klarkowski of a defensive leadership. This is a young roster. They've have experience to some extent, but it's a very young roster. I'm curious about the leadership on this team and some of the key holes at catcher and shortstop in particular. I think they're going to be pretty young. And they, you know, you mentioned those rankings. Here are the teams they're playing on the schedule. They've got Florida State in Clearwater at the ESPN Elite Invitational. Mm-hmm. Florida State's ranked fourth. Florida comes to UCF. They're ranked sixth in the country in the poll. You've got. Uh, Georgia, who's the opener uh, next week, they're ranked 12th, return almost everybody offensively. Virginia Tech is 13th. They come to UCF uh, in uh, April in this schedule. Michigan, who has two All-American pitchers, is ranked 16th. They play UCF in Clearwater in a couple of weeks uh, on the schedule. James Madison, the darlings of softball that made it to the Women's College World Series, they come in ranked 17th. They come to UCF. You sense a pattern here? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Tennessee's ranked 22nd. UCF's playing them in Clearwater. Liberty, your favorite, Jeffrey, ranked 24th in the country. Yeah, they right. come to UCF for a midweek in about a week and a half. So uh, you get the gist here. Wichita State's the, the conference favorites, 25th in the country. UCF's receiving votes. They're 26th. 
Minnesota's right behind them at 27. That's UCF's second game of the season next week. This is a rough schedule. We're going to learn a lot for this young group. They're going to grow up fast, in particular, the first few weeks of the season. And, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. But uh, we will have Coach Ball Malone next week. This will be a softball special. Uh, we're going to have this next couple of weeks, we'll have a couple of regular uh, podcasts. We'll have a regular podcast and then a theme podcast. Next week will be softball. The following yeah. week will be baseball. It's our tradition. We like to call it the Brian Murphy special. We used to have a Murph tradition. on. We used to have Murph on to talk baseball for about over an hour. This time it'll be other people talking for over an hour uh, on the baseball front and on the softball. And, and by the way, tweet us questions. I'm going to be on yeah. the hot seat next week. Hot seat softball questions. The burning questions you as the audience want to ask. Jump it in. Jeffrey, Bryson, they're all going to put me on the hot seat and I'll answer all your questions. Where can they send those questions, Jeffrey? Uh, send them to our Twitter account, which is UCF Banneret underscore SBN. UCF Banneret underscore SBN is where we want to know. So, all right. So a uh, couple things also that I wanted that we wanted to uh, – we have to get – we have to get in on the Orlando Pride like right now, okay? Not only is former UCF women's soccer head coach Amanda Cromwell now the head coach of the Orlando Pride, all right? Not only have they hired Michelle Akers as an assistant coach, they have also hired Alini Reyes as goalkeeper coach. Um, one of the great goalkeepers in UCF history, obviously, led UCF to the uh, Elite Eight, uh, played obviously for or uh, for Amanda Cromwell at UCF, um, and uh, we're getting the band back together, Eric. This is fantastic. I, I know you've we you've talked to Alina. We've had her on the podcast before. Um, she's obviously such a talent. Brazilian national team really worked her way onto that roster too. Um, you know, just through experience and just hard work. And now she gets to, you know, she was the goalkeeper coach for UCLA when Amanda left UCF and won the national title out in Westwood. And now she's coming back to try and uh, to try and lead the, lead the pride to an NWSL championship. This is great to see. Yeah. You know, when we spoke to Aline in the past, her goal of long-term is to be a coach. Uh, she wants to be a head coach. And I think, you know, she's been playing overseas in the Europe there in the European leagues. And I think this is significant that, hey, this is an opportunity for me to get in coach back in coaching, coach in the, in the pros here in the States, back in Orlando where she's familiar with. You know, we did that top 80 UCF greatest female athletes of all time a couple years ago on Black and Gold Banneret. And the, the two athletes I ranked one and two, Michelle Akers, Alini Reyes, both Hall mm-hmm. of Famers at UCF, both have played in the Olympics, both have been in the World Cup. And uh, by the way, happy belated birthday to Michelle Akers. Her birthday was this week, so that's right. Happy birthday, Michelle! Previous guest too. We had her over a year ago. Yep. So, yeah, this is royalty. If you're UCF, right? Like this is the opposite of Orlando City, which barely I don't think has any UCF players. Oh, actually, did they take one? Maybe they drafted one at the Super Draft a couple weeks ago. I'm not. I don't remember. But Nick, this, Nick Taylor. Yeah, they did. Yep. Nick, Nick Taylor. Taylor. Yep. Well, hopefully they'll keep him around this time. Uh, unlike past draft picks. <laughs> We'll see. Uh, but look, this is awesome with Reyes and, and Cromwell. Obviously, you reunited. You got Michelle Akers. I mean, it's a who's who at UCF soccer for sure. Well, I mean, think I mean, think about the bridge of, I guess, generations in a sense. Because remember, Michelle Akers was a UCF student in the 80s. Alini Reyes was uh, was about like late 2020, early, early 2010s. And Amanda Cromwell brings both of them together onto the same coaching staff. 
yeah it's yeah, a good I, bridge I just find that astounding it's a good bridge there and of course Cromwell came to UCF took over the job at the uh, convincing of her teammate and friend Michelle Akers so it's all full yeah. circle uh I think you could make the case that Reyes and Akers are the two most prominent faces of UCF women's soccer history uh the two most well known and Cromwell coached Reyes and obviously played with Akers it's just a fascinating yep. connection there and both of them played with Tiffany Roberts in Hayat Act too. Oh, yeah. by the way, let, yeah. let's just let's, let's get, not forget that. Let's um, see, we, we can do a good pickup game there, legendary pickup hey, game. I think UCF will be a top seed. I would love to see. I, I, <laughs> I mean, they're the, the three of them are going to be at some games this fall, right? I mean, they got to be, right? I think you'll see some, yeah, back and forth. I think you'll see Coach Sahadak at some of the yeah. Pride games and vice versa for sure. I'm honestly uh, glad that Sahadak got her contract extension, or else I think that oh man, is Cromwell going to come after her next? No. <laughs> no, 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 I know she's extended. It's extended. I'm joking. Yeah. But, uh, the pride, uh, they, their, their season starts in, uh, I believe it starts in March, right? Do they have that tournament March, I think March or April. I forget. I'm trying to pull this up here. They don't make it easy on the website here for crying out loud, Orlando city. Come on, man. By I the way, the interesting thing while I, you look I, at I that up. It. I have it. They, their first what? match is April 10th against April Racing 10th. Louisville at Lynn Family Stadium. It's the challenge. It's the challenge. Yeah, that's cup. the challenge cup that starts the tournament. Go ahead, Eric. Well, I was gonna say the irony is when they have the whenever they have their first home match, Amanda Cromwell's coached there before. She led UCLA to the college cup a few back in 2017 in that very stadium, lost to Stanford uh in the national championship game but i remember there was a lot of ucf alumni in the stands so uh if nothing else yeah. the prize attendance is probably going to get a nice spike i'm All very right, interested so. to see how they're going to tackle this nwsl because they also just agreed to uh the nwsl and the players just agreed to their first ever cba so i'm going to be very interested to see how cromwell or staff and the pride navigate that as that as that era starts to set itself into the nwsl well well i'll tell you that what that really means is you know it, it, every step that you see there is it's it's another step on the nwsl toward the mainstream you know i think they've you know there's been uh mls has provided um i think a significant amount of support i mean obviously the pride are, are part and parcel of orlando city as a unit and i think this is good to see because the you know the the the, the more opportunities there are for, um, you know, the women's soccer in the United States on the professional level, that's good. That's that's a good thing for the sport going forward. Um, you know, we've seen how that how that has helped the WNBA. WNBA has been around for almost thirty years now, um, and really, I think the the growth of the of NWSL, the organic growth of NWSL, I think has been what's been most impressive. You know that. There was some times where the WNBA was kind of like struggling without the help of the NBA. Now it's getting to a point where it can kind of stand on its own brand. And I think NWSL is achieving that on a faster timeline than with than than the WNBA did. So this is good. And it's good to see it's good to see old friends back in town. That's like that's the other thing. It's cool too. So all right. As we wrap this thing up, uh by the way, we don't have any UCF players on the Washington Commanders, so we can't talk about that too much. But Washington Commanders. Cobra Commander approves. I'm glad there is a name. Now follow my orders. Uh, oh the, wow! Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean it's but they had yeah they have a name. Well, they had a name before. It was football team. You know what a missed opportunity that was. They could have been the football club, and then everyone could could have been like, hey, let's let's go see the club like that. <laughs> no one wants to say like go see the team, right? Like. 
I've been hearing that Red Tails was a name that uh, some people have wanted. I everyone wanted that one. I wanted that one so bad. It would have been so cool, oh, but boy. they went but they they went the safe route they, with commanders. It's like, okay. I mean, that All was right. wasn't that a name of an AAF team if I'm not mistaken, San Antonio? It was the San Antonio Commanders. Yeah. What's funny oh. is the Cleveland though say the so the Cleveland Guardians now in Major League Baseball, Guardians was also an XFL team name, the New York Guardians. So they're just stealing trademarks from from uh, from new football leagues all over the place. Well, well the done, AAF guys. Come the, on. Well, the AAF is no more. Might as well use the name for something. Yeah, but those marks exist somewhere. So, some someone's got someone. Someone owns that those trademarks. I don't know. Probably who, just someone. made a, and probably just made some good money. Uh, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I, I, you know, it's it's entirely. I, I I don't know how that changes hands or any of that kind of stuff. But um, you know, the San Antonio Commanders and the AAF they had the best attendance of any AAF team. They had really they 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 actually drew people to the Alamo Dome. So yeah, well the Orlando Apollos were the best team though. Listen, you know, true, but but listen, the uh, and those two teams probably played the best game in AAF history. It was in San Antonio and Orlando that game in the Alamo Dome. So, um, but yeah, let's it's uh, I mean the the bar is low and they met it. So you know can't complain. Uh, can't see it, but I'm shrugging. Right. But uh, all right, so let's wrap this thing up here. So we've got uh, we, we've got plenty to talk about with basketball coming up. Um, thanks again to uh, uh, Emily Marin for joining us, talking women's golf. And Bryson, thanks to you. You can follow him at it's Bryson Turner. Follow Eric Lopez at Eric Lopez Elo, and follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon. Follow us collectively at UCF Banneret underscore SBN, and of course BlackandGoldBanneret.com, where you can find all the latest news UCF uh, from as part of the uh, SB Nation network. So lots to, so, you know, it's it's a lot of, you know, yeah, the football news was like, you know, pulling things together that we already knew, but it's nice to have these guys like signed on, ready to go. And 2022 is right around the corner, but we got our spring sports happening. Uh, yeah, golf busy and week tennis. this week. It's a I'm- busy week. Yeah, we're starting to really fire it up. Eric Lopez, you are less than, you are it's one about week to get from busier. softball. Yeah, well, yeah. I was gonna say it's hey, about to get busier. It's about hey, to get. Hey, busier. did you see? Did you see the video board? Last thing, did you see they're they're putting up the video board? The pieces finally arrived for baseball. Yes, I am very. Finally, reminded. I am eager to see what it looks like. At long last, at long last, I think that that thing was there from when like we were students. I think. Oh, by far. I'm just happy that you know baseball's around the corner because me and Brian have been uh, Murphy has been watching the Caribbean series on ESPN Deportes. That's how we're we're, we're we need some baseball in listen, our lives, some ball base, bat in our lives. Listen, UCF baseball might be the only baseball in our lives for quite some time, from what I'm hearing. Oh man, yeah. No comment. We're not even getting there. Best of luck all to right. Chad Matola. Hopefully, we'll see Chad Matola soon. That's what I'm hoping to, and all the other guys UCF as well, right. former UCF alumni that are out there in in the major. Let's get that CBA done so we can see you guys. All right, let's get Drew Butera back there. Let's get yeah. We need another year, of Drew. Come on. All right, for all of us here at Black and Gold Banneret, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you so much for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. We will catch you next week.